Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. My name is Aram, and my pronouns are he, him. I'm the writer and producer of the Dungeon and Dragons podcast, God's Fall. My name is Dylan. My pronouns are he, him, and I'm a physicist from Canada. Welcome to Kill Every Monster. In this episode, we are featuring the Rakshasa. The Monster Manual describes Rakshasa as creatures who employ delicacy and misdirection in the pursuit of domination over others. Few creatures ever see the fiend in its true form, for it can take on any guise it wants, although it prefers to masquerade as someone powerful or influential, a noble, cardinal, or rich merchant, for example. Rakshasa's true form combines the features of a human and a tiger with one noteworthy deformity. Its palms are where the backs of the hands would be on a human. We are joined by KP. KP is a creative tackling multiple fields, including photography, cosplay, streaming, TTRPG actual play, and published written work. He's currently a permanent cast member of Glenbrook Unhollowed, Tales from the Loop AP, Void, Coriolis AP, and City of the Light and Shadow, Fate AP, with many other charity one-shots and long-term APs under his belt. He's worked with major channels and cons, such as Roll20, Cobalt Press, Gen Con, and Jasper's Game Day. KP is also a Jasper's Game Day ambassador, using his space to raise over $10,000 for charity in the last year. KP strives to use inspiration from his culture as a POC South Asian to tell unique stories in his works, with hopes to inspire those around him to invest in such cultures and their voices. Welcome to the show, KP. Hey, thank you so much for having me. We are so excited about this one. Yeah. Dylan and I have been stoked about this one. <laughs> oh, pressure! <laughs> KP, what is a rakshasa? So, one correction. It's not rakshasa. So, the, uh, the, the stress is not on the second A. It's on the first A. So, it's rakshasa. Rakshasa. That in and of itself is both the singular as well as the plural. They are the antagonists to all the stories that I've grown up in. They're inherently creatures of discord. I, I don't want to clearly put them, put them down for evil, but I guess, the, I guess the word is more self-serving. It's like trying to compare Jedis versus Sith, right? Because you know, everybody in their minds are the heroes of their own story, right? Everybody feels that. I mean, we're, we're dealing with sort of a, a Lex Luthor territory where, like, most of the time, like, he's a dick, but he's not evil per se. 
once again, it's also a lot to do with the individuals as well, right? So the level of evil that we have changes from one to the other. Do they lean more in our definition of evil? Absolutely. I like to view them as the natural predators to human beings. And naturally, us being human beings would consider them yeah. evil because, well, goddamn, they're after me. They're, they're going to kill me and eat me. Yeah. And, and like a real dangerous one because like most predators we consider as humans are just bigger, faster, stronger things that can kill us. That's true here, but it also can manipulate us, control our government. Mm -hmm. They're intelligent. They can basically take over every aspect of our lives in, in their hunt of us. They're absolutely sent a sentient being with intelligence and capability of subterfuge and using that intelligence to manipulate us and the world around us to get what they want. When we were talking about the Deva with uh, RK, he basically cast it as like the Devas versus the Asuras. Where the where does the uh, Rikshasa fall on the sliding scale of like synonym to Asuras versus subset or like are they a separate group? Oh, boy, that's a great, great question. Um, mind you, I, I should have probably started with this at the very beginning. Please take everything I say with a grain of salt. I am no expert. I, I, I'm only giving my personal experience as someone from the culture growing up, hearing the tales from my father and, and things like that. I'm in no way a researcher or academic in that sense. We are a group of nerds and not scholars. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. My understanding is that from what I've learned, Asuras and Rakshasas kind of sometimes get mixed up, but they can be two distinct things. It's kind of like saying uh, everything is an animal, but not animals are cows kind of a thing. But you, which one is which, I'm not personally understanding of. I feel like, um, you know, every Rakshasa is, a, is an Asura, but not every Asura is a Rakshasa. So Sura in Sanskrit means God or godly beings, divine beings. When you add a to any word in our language, that becomes not. It's like a not. So not God, not divine. So Asura is the opposite of that. But they technically have, the, they're kind of the equals in that sense. This time it's less a negation and more a full reversal. It's not, it's not a non-god, it's an anti-god. Yeah, it's like a negative aspect or like the positive to a negative or a negative to a positive kind of a situation, right? So they're equal beings. So how Arakshasa even, or at least uh, the, the common origin story for them came to being was uh, in our culture, you have multiple gods, right? Obviously, it's a polytheistic religion, but um, the, you have the three main gods, which are Brahma, the god of creation, Vishnu, the god of preservation or protection, and then Shiva, the god of destruction or renewal, all acting together to maintain the balance of the universe, because you need creation to create new things. You need to then protect those things to allow them to grow and to prosper and, and, and reach that potential. And then you do need destruction to, re to remove the rot, to remove what is not working anymore so that things stay fresh. Brahma, the god of creation, uh, it was said that he was sleeping. And in that process, when he was sleeping, in one of his exhales, he created accidentally these creatures. 
During his deep slumber, Brahma's breath created enormous, bloodthirsty, fanged creatures with sharp, claw-like fingernails. And these creatures actually started attacking Brahma himself in his sleep and started eating away at him. Growling like beasts, these creatures turned upon Brahma and began devouring him. And he couldn't stop them. In that process, he actually starts yelling out to Vishnu. Brahma woke and shouted, Rakshama, protect me. And Vishnu, the god of protection and the preserver of good, came to his aid and banished all these strange creatures to Earth. And that's how these creatures then ended up being on Earth and then proliferated and grew and went out. Whereas Asuras have been there from the beginning. The gods came into this world. They also came along with them. They, they have history versus uh, these were created after. Certain ones especially have become so powerful that they could contend against the gods themselves and threatened their seat in the kingdom. Uh, and actually, some of them had even usurped a lot of them and, and took over their kingdoms until one of the three major gods had to step in, uh, usually Vishnu, usually him, uh, co coming in to, to protect and, and kill them. They can be very, very powerful. Um, and funny enough, a lot of the times it's because, because of gods. Because, And this is what I love about a lot of the polytheistic or old religions, because gods are fallible, just like anybody else. A little bit of god sleep apnea can make a whole accidental yeah. <laughs> legion of creatures. We've had more wild origin stories of other things, right? It just makes god seem much more, like, you can play like, okay, well, this god messed with some mortals, and that makes it seem like a god, but a god that's so powerful, so just, just filled with energy and creation that they can have a little bit of a dream, maybe, and birth an entire group of creatures. I mean, that is unbelievable, a power. Honestly, kind of tracks with what being a god is like, you would think. Yeah, that feels godly. Yeah, especially the god of creation, the very god of creation himself, to be able to birth something like that, even with the slightest movement. Take that to your home games. Stop doing the whole, like, Christian-centric, like, oh, and all of our gods have plots and our wheels within wheels and are infallible. Let them fuck up. Someone might ask the question, well, after they were created, why didn't the gods then go and destroy them? Because they're freaking gods. Why do they care? <laughs> okay, they're in the world, whatever. Well, now that it's not eating me, it's not a problem. Some of them think they're cute. And I like to think that, you know, it's like Vishnu saying, well, everything has a fair shake and everything has a place. And therefore now this is, this is here. So like we have two major, major epics, right? That almost every Indian is familiar with and kind of takes inspiration from. You have the Ramayana and you have the Mahabharata. And the, in the Ramayana, this Rakshasa, Ravana, is the major villain. He's the major adversary. And uh, he's depicted and described as someone who has 10 heads. And there's different interpretations or different meanings behind why he has such. Uh, sometimes Some people say he's just so powerful that it could not be represented and contained in one body, and therefore each head has a portion of his, his, his powers. Uh, others say that each head represents a sin, uh, uh, you know, and, and therefore because he has so many sins to the level that he is such a powerful Rakshasa, even though he's representation of such evil, 
he's also represented as someone that is capable of good. Um, and this is what I love about, uh, about this religion is that there's a level of duality and level of complexity to everything. Nothing is depicted, or at least very rarely is anything depicted as so one-sided and so absolute that, you know, it is not rede redeemable. Um, and the entire concept being is anybody can go off the wrong path. Anybody, even the most good person, if not directed properly or if not aware of where they're stepping, can take the wrong path. Because despite being a person of such sin, he was also considered to be a great king and of uh, someone who is very compassionate to his subjects, who cares for his kingdom, whose kingdom prospered under his rule. But he just was someone who was so full of of jealousy to the towards the god of of want of more and never was, could be satisfied right that hunger could never be satisfied that he kept reaching and taking from others more and more and more to the point where it became a detriment because he he lived a very long life before god finally had to step up and go okay well it's time for you to go now the main downfall i would say of it seems like with the rakshasa is that they could be good they could be generous they could be all of these things we would consider a good creature, right? Mm -hmm. But their personal ego, their personal sense of self is so mighty, so powerful, so overwhelming that it tends to undercut uh, any of that that they might yes. be doing. Yes. Which is one of the things that uh, the monster manual actually pulls on a little bit in that, like, if you kill them, they go to hell and they remember. And if they hold a grudge, so help you if one of your family members <laughs> back in the line killed a Rakshasa, then motherfuckers come back. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, it could be five generations. Five and generations, <laughs> long dead. Don't give a shit. I'm mad at you now. You sort of want to give a, a, a grain of credit to the original creators. Like when Gygax pulled on the Rakshasa, as best we can figure, it was from like an episode of what was effectively 70s Supernatural. Featured a monster that was like, it was a namesake of them. Oh, so it's like a distillation of a distillation or like a copy of a copy. There was like this creature feature show that he used to like, right? And they would show different creatures. And this was like, like the creature of the week kind of thing. So yeah. When you look into the whole angel setup of Deva, Solar, uh, Planetar, he's pulling from whatever mysticism bullshit Crowley got into, uh, which obviously pulled from Indian and Hindu and... White people tend to make a salad out of other people's faiths. That's kind of what we do. <laughs> like, I'll take some of this and some of this. Do no reading or understanding whatsoever. Yeah, and we're there. just gonna, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you want to give like a little touch of credit for the things they get right before the internet. It's like giving a cookie. You're just like, good. Oh, you did something kind of right. Good job. Here's a cookie. Do better next time. <laughs> Go back to talking about goblins. It's fine, yeah. Gary. Uh, <laughs> well, mostly. Mostly it's fine. <laughs> yeah. I am going to say that a lot of the key features, especially their, their, how they operate, I say they got very well, like, the, correct. Um, the fact that they use subterfuge, the fact that they use illusions and or the, or the actual word being Maya, Maya being illusion to get to you. Right. So like a lot of Rakshasas uh, are considered not the best looking things. 
or at least are to our standard of beauty, they're not considered very beautiful. And so they use illusion and they use their Maya to project themselves as beautiful creatures. Although there are texts talking about how they can be or some like, for example, Ravana, like I said, he was considered a perfect king and a very handsome person. Once you get past the 10 heads thing, it's... Yeah, you know, each head is gorgeous. Each head's really hot, though, yeah. (laughs) Mm. Can you imagine, like, having all 10 heads kiss you? Just, like, one at the neck and one elsewhere. It's like, mm, that's a sexy time right there. (laughs) I am having a little bit of trouble with the geometry aspect of that, but I take your point. (laughs) A couple of the kisses might be on your shins. It's just, you know, this where everyone can reach at the moment. Yeah, man. You know, everybody has their fetish. (laughs) <laughs> I've met a lot of guys. I haven't met a Shins guy yet. <laughs> Why does the Rakshasa look like that? That backward hand palm thing? That That is all Gygax. I don't know where that comes from or what inspiration that brought about. It could just be something to kind of make them feel otherworldly or or kind of other. Yeah. It feels like one of those things that works really well in a visual medium. Like if you were watching TV and a guy had like an extra finger or their hand was on backwards, you could watch several scenes and not pick up on it. So it becomes something you can drop as a hint. But here, like... It's a huge problem with art because... This doesn't look that much different than this. And so yeah, like, you yeah, see all yeah. these depictions of Rakshasa where the artist is clearly struggling. So like, no, <laughs> yeah. the hand is weird. Look at the hand. Yeah. Well, you have to show the fingers flexing a little bit. Otherwise, yeah. you know, it, it's a plane being reflected. This is something all DMs have come across. If you haven't yet, Jesus Christ, you will. <laughs> where the players will latch on to anything you say. Like when yeah. you describe things, you're already describing all the important things. So making a subtle differentiator, like one of those things that would be really cool is like a hint that something is off. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, now when I say, and the man's hands are on backwards, everybody's like, oh, so that's a bad, this, this is definitely a thing. 100%, this is a monster, let's kill it now. Although it, it also adds an element where I like, if you were trying to find the Rakshasa, you would, and you knew this, you'd be like trying to shake their hand. Like, because yeah. they can become mm-hmm. anyone. They can be mm-hmm. anyone. So it's always like, hello. And it's always a handshake and see where the hand lies. I mean, there's there's little parts of that that I like, even though it clearly has no connection to anything yeah. except whatever mm-hmm. was in Gygax's head at the moment. I do think, though, if you have a better understanding of the mentality of these creatures, of these beings... Mm-hmm you might not need such visual representation or, or, or a accused. crude method. It's yeah. a, I feel like a very crude method coming from someone who doesn't have full understanding of who they are. And uh, one can also say is a kind of a form of anti-disability, like, I, I, like, you know, I, 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 you know, viewing it as a deformity, viewing it as such, because, you know, you have people who have... It is really interesting that they chose the word deformity in that description not just like it's it's a weird like for us it's a weird thing that happened to it but no they're deformed but we're not tiger people it's not a deformity that's just how they are being a tiger person is relative to my experience a deformity true (laughs) right i just think i just think that that aspect even isn't necessary for someone who is more well-versed or can be well-versed in this because once again the concept of being or the the prop the thing about being a, a, a rakshasa is more about embodying that 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 need that internal need to just and craving to just get anything that you want and just <laughs> which is very human which is very human we don't obviously have rakshasas walking around or something but 
We might, we might, we might. <laughs> but once again, it's yeah. more about the concept. So anybody who embodies those characteristics, anybody who kills people, who craves and takes uh, either life, land, people, anything of that sort for their own gain is called a Rakshasa. Oh my God, did you see that? He's a Rakshasa. Like you look at him or her and look what they have done. You don't necessarily even need to reveal a, a true form of some sort. Right. It's yeah. about being this person who's so cruel, who is so in of the like unable to even control. It's it's not even like it's they it's an internal want to be evil and to do something to, you know, do it for themselves and better themselves. Versus, even if it means hurting others in the process. Like their kingdom may be the best kingdom and their people may be the happiest, well-fed people in the entire world because that feeds their own ego. But everyone outside their walls is suffering because he's sucking all the land up. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And there you have a Rakshasa. It pulls back to that initial analogy. It's the Lex Luthor problem of like, you see him on a billboard and he's the big shiny man who like, oh, he brought jobs, he brought po- prosperity, he brought everything. Yeah. Yes. And also I'm going to kill Superman because I think he's a bitch. Kingpin's going to invest in the subway. He believes in the city, right? But he's a, he's a real problem because of his own ego. Yeah, exactly. And then to me, as my based off my philosophies, people like Trump is a Rakshasa because yeah. to me, he is the embodiment of someone who just keeps taking and taking and taking and wanting for themselves and using the excuse of wanting to better others' lives is also in ultimately feeding their own ego and feeding because it was never about you know bettering the lives of, other, of others. It was how can I make myself look better and how can I feed my own ego and my own cravings, right? And never being satisfied. KP, is the Rakshasa a monster? I don't think so. It can be, if you utilize them as such. I think anybody can be a Rakshasa. And if you go by the very definition of that, anybody can be that monster. Anything in your universe can be that monster. Anything, even regular people can be a monster, a Rakshasa, right? You don't need a necessarily a physical specific embodiment of that to play that part all evil beings are rakshasas not all rakshasas are evil beings it almost feels like the reverse of what we usually wind up saying because normally we wind up with like oh that is not a monster because it's inherently just a person like it's, it's got a certain degree of personhood in its nature and it can be evil this almost feels like the inverse where like the rakshasa are inherently evil inherently monstrous and can beat it if they really tried yeah like it almost feels like they just start in the negatives and work up to positives in an essence kind of, yeah or at least that their own avarices are so powerful that they have to work to overcome them yeah in fifth edition rakshasa are built effectively as the the best devil in the book do not care that they are not in that bracket technically <laughs> they live in hell they shapeshift they are sneaky, conniving deal makers. Like when I think of the devil at the crossroads, that is the stat block I will use every time. Is there anything you would change about it for the Rakshasa or is that actually in line? I personally think the characterization and, and like the mental philosophy is very much in line. I am now going to pull this fully into my wheelhouse. Let's talk about mechanics because I think these things are one of the... <laughs> again, these are like a really fucking scary monster. 
as a creative encounter, as just a talk encounter, they're scary as hell. As a fight, they're terrifying. Unfortunately, uh, none of my D&D games have gotten far enough that right, they haven't gotten to that level. Yeah, because they are very powerful. Yeah, exactly. We've got a save DC on all their spell stuff of 18, which is nonsensically high. That is right. going to hit everything. <laughs> and all of their spells are specifically to fuck with you. It's detect thoughts, disguise self, minor illusion, charm person, invisibility, major image, suggestion, dominate person, and true seeing. They also have fly in plane shift because sometimes, you know, just why not? You know, why not? Why not? Yeah. yeah. Which tracks honestly to what a, what a mythological Rakshasa can do. Uh, maybe not the plane shift. I'm not sure about that. Mechanically, D&D needs a way to get them back from hell. That's exactly. all that is. It's just a door back from hell. We've said that these things are from hell. They need to get to Earth somewhere. Put it in the stat block. It's fine. They also have, you know, damage immunity to non-magical weapons. They're vulnerable to being stabbed by good people. But they're also immune to spells of sixth level or lower. Just straight up immune. <laughs> level of OP? Oh my god. You have to cast a seventh level spell to hit them, and they have advantage on saves from that point onward still. But if you cast Fireball, they don't. It just explodes all around them and they just stand there, wreathed in flame casually. Wait, so wait, even a Fireball doesn't, like, hurt them? The phrasing is... The Rakshasa is immune to spells of sixth level or lower unless it wishes to be affected. I mean, a tidal wave, a tsunami, and they just stand there as everything gets destroyed around them. That is a scary thing. If you have a caster that is not minimum 15th level, they can't do anything. Yeah, to anything. There, there you go. That's the reason why I've never encountered them because none of my characters have ever <laughs> made it that to that level. And anything you cast on yourself, they're going to see right through anyway. So like, <laughs> even if you are that you level. You can still buff yourself. I would imagine yeah. if you did something like you cast magic weapon, now your sword has a plus one. I'd give you that one. That seems fair. I think maybe my one wish for this is, you know, introduce maybe lower level Rakshasas. Just chill a little bit. <laughs> you have minor Rakshasas who are not as powerful that got killed by a young Rama versus the king of Rakshasas, Ravana, who's this like... I have 10 heads because I'm so goddamn powerful. Let me tell you the last thing mechanically about these things that I fucking love. Rakshasa are very clearly a monster that is not meant to be fought all at once. It is meant to like hit you and leave and then come back days later and hit you again. And I think that's such a fun way to kind of introduce like a big bad, someone who's persistent. Yeah. Comes in, fucks with you and then leaves. So it's claw attack is threatening for an unarmed attack it's 2d6 plus 2 that's not a huge amount it's regular slashing damage it's a flesh wound if the target is a creature it is cursed no save the magical curse takes effect whenever the target takes a short or long rest filling the target's thoughts with horrible images and dreams the cursed target gains no benefit from finishing a short or long rest the curse lasts until it is lifted <laughs> by a remove curse spell or similar magic <laughs> you never if you get punched by a rakshasa if it just looks at you and you're an inconvenience it will backhand you and you do not heal you do not regain spell slots you do not recharge superiority dice you gain nothing it doesn't even need to do that. It needs to prick you with one claw. That's it. The tiniest little prick is all it needs to do. It could do it in a handshake. You'd never know. 
And then a week later or a day later when it shows back up and you're exhausted and you have no spells, and it's just going to run the table with you. Which also hits the point of like, if you are a truly cruel DM, this is not a thing I advocate for, but this is a thing that technically by letter of the law, one of the effects of a long rest is preventing exhaustion. Which means that seven days after you are attacked by a Rakshasa, or a Rakshasa you die because you do not rest. But I love that. And they're so unique. Like it does things you don't expect. Right. It's got little extra things like, oh wait, no one else has that. This is, I'm not expecting this at all. That makes this monster fun. It makes right. it really interesting. And it makes it such a multi-dimensional threat to any party. I would love to see, like I said earlier, a, a more lower variations of them that can still be fun way to introduce them at lower levels to characters. Because like you said, they're so interesting. It's a it's a shame that you don't get to meet them until you're so much later in your campaign and in your unless you literally start your character at a high level, but then you're kind of losing a lot of the build up to that to understand why they're so goddamn powerful and holy crap oh man because you know if you just start at level fifteen you're it's so much to take and wrap your head around that you it's a little overwhelming that you won't be able yeah. to kind of get there if you had slowly built up to that level. So I would love to have seen it if like, or, or a fun way to do it is it starts off as a minor Rakshasa. And then as your campaign goes, it builds in power and grows and grows along with your players. And then ultimately becomes something that you've built this story with and has been part of your journey. And now your final big bad or one of your final big bads is this creature that you've seen along. Uh, and, and now you have to finally defeat, hopefully, or try to defeat, right? And that's become too powerful. Because a Rakshasa is definitely a creature that is going to adapt and change and get more powerful and collect magical items and do whatever they need to do to get to the level that they see themselves at. Exactly. Or you can build on the concept of you did kill them before, but because they can come back, now they've come back more powerful. <laughs> Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Aram, tell me about what you've been doing out in the grove. So, Torgun the Many likes to walk through these groves. He spends most of his mornings just walking because nothing pleases him more than the quiet. Well, not the quiet of the forest, but his quiet within the forest. There are noises, but there's not bustle. There's not activity in the same way that people have. These are lands that were old lands. His people used to be here. They haven't been here for many generations, but the stories of these lands were always important. And there was always this drive to return, to return to the places we used to live. And this is what he's been working on. He's basically formed 
a small group of people who truly believe in, you know, the past and refinding some of their roots in that past. And he's just very, very protective over that idea. So we have this small place in this beautiful grotto that we were kind of led to, maybe we found kind of like an Ouija board, who's really pushing it, right? But we've led ourselves to believe this is where we're supposed to be. And KP, in the last several months, we're going to say, if there is anyone in the kingdom with a capacity for patience, it is you. So there has been time. Let them be. See how it folds out. When did you realize that these people out in the grove were going to be a problem? As my kingdom expands, more resources are needed, more more land, more wood to build, more stone, more food and cultivation grounds. And sometimes just recreation, a place to go to away from this hustle and bustle of the city. And when they, the, the, the people that go there to enact upon these are being either attacked, turned away. Eventually, it's become a nuisance, I would say. I'm going to say about a week ago, an emissary was sent out. It's not that there's a lack of peace, but something needs to be brokered. Either a coexistence needs to happen or it needs to be established that coexistence is not possible. So Aram, you've received this message and you have been called. How did this message arrive? I, well, despite it being a nuisance, I could feel this, that maybe more of the approach that I would take is I go on the attack or I push back. And now perhaps on your end, you then send me the request for to broker peace or to come by and discuss. And I graciously have given you the audience to come to my kingdom, to my court, and perhaps discuss something. There was a great tree. There was this old tree open in the middle, almost as if the doors of a church were were, were opening up to us. And we had formed this beautiful centerpiece to our community, and you burned it. Well, we cut it down, yeah. It's still good wood. Did you cut it down and take it? Oh, yeah. That's sturdy wood right there. Perfect. When you cut it down, did you cut it down for lumber or did you cut it down and take it? That tree doesn't have any further uses beyond building ships, homes, furniture, decoration. Everyone needs a cigar box, you know. Mm, The pipe that I smoke has never tasted better. (laughs) That's so good. All right, then I wish an audience and I would send an emissary back in the form of a raven with a little silver scroll tied to its front leg. Well, to its leg. It's not a front leg. It's a bird. (laughs) A little little silver scroll tied to its leg. And I don't even read it. I give it to a messenger to read to me. And once they do, what do you have a con- an idea or just simple, hey, I wish to make audience? Well, it reads rather simply. Torgun the Many wishes to speak with the usurper who stains his lands. Oh no, that's a bad 
choice. Uh, you know, it starts as a chuckle. Let's say. <laughs> oh, oh, that's funny. Well, since we are encroaching on their land, perhaps we can give them the common decency to provide them an audience. I am nothing more than a very gracious king. How do you send the, the word back? Is it the return the bird? Is it send a man? Oh, the, the bird returns the bird um, in, a, in a letter saying, come. That's it. Just come? Perfect. Gorgeous script. Each letter is inked and hand-gilded, and it has that really fancy first letter that's bigger than all the other letters to set off the paragraph that isn't there. Rakshasa strike me as people who really like gold. Like, they like, like, like textures and shine and silks and tapestries, yeah. That's the thing, is I feel like gold may not be the right angle, because, like, just, just going off of that art, it's luxury. Gold is pretty, but gold is not comforting. It isn't... It's a, it's a showcasing of wealth. Mm-hmm. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. It's ostentatiousness without purpose, whereas something like silk, pillows, those sorts of things like that is luxury. The parchment that it's on is animal skin. It's one of the skins of the animals of your forest. Right. Perhaps that has been used. Raven comes to the king and a dove comes back. Mm. Right. I like that. I like that quite a lot. In the middle of the wax seal is just that single black feather. Just to let you, just in case you didn't get it. Then I would hold this dove aloft, gently preening its feathers, give it a small kiss and send it on its way, and then become that dove and fly to this kingdom. KP, do you want to give us the uh, bird's eye view, the sweeping vistas of your noble lands? So you come upon a quite a large kingdom, fairly spread out, outskirts being farmland, look very prosperous. Uh, This year's harvest especially rich and filling. And as you approach closer and closer to the city walls, you see these majestic tall walls uh, made of sturdy stones. Very well kept. You see it's manned with proper guards with proper equipment, pregnable by outside enemies. Um, As you enter the land, you see a city that is very well maintained and very well planned out. You see crisscrossing streets that are easy to maneuver in, wide enough for both people and carriages. You see homes that are very well constructed, sturdy, um, maybe a little utilitarian, but definitely does the job well. Uh, you, you don't see any signs of dirt or refuse or uh, any sort, alluding to the fact that there must be some sort of plumbing, some sort of uh, sanitation system at work here. And a team of people keeping the city clean at all times. Yes, very clean streets, very, uh, very well put together. You see people walking around looking happy, joyous, celebratory. And in no way seeming to be the kingdom of a evil usurper or an evil tyrant. 
This is a prospering kingdom. These are not the lands of a despot. In human terms. In human terms. Perhaps there are moments where the, the firm hand needs to be used, or a claw, or threats. But overall, this kingdom is thriving. And you see in the center a palace more magnificent that, than you have ever seen or anybody has ever seen. It is majestic, big, ostentatiously big. There is no need for a building of such stature. It stands in stark contrast to those homes, which were all good, but simple, utilitarian. They got the job done. They kept the people happy. This was built to keep a king gleeful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you see the domes gilded in gold. A designs of, of just artwork carved into this that are so intricate that no matter how close you look at it, you will always find new details of inlaid gems acting as eyes and 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 clothing to the characters depicted, almost all of them, of the great exploits of this king. You don't need a ruby in a relief three stories up. Right. You definitely mm -hmm. don't. They're there. You can't even probably see it, really, unless you are close enough to it, but it's there. You are the first person since the artist to see it because you're a fucking bird. We could just use glass stones, my lord. No, no, no. It will be rubies and mm. sapphires. <laughs> but what's the fun in that? Are there other birds gathered upon your palace? Oh, yes. I mean, you see gardens in the area. You ah. see, especially in the kingdom itself, especially closer to the, 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 the actual castle. You see the, the royal guard, gardens, the royal... Uh, uh, there's, there's a fountain. There's intricate systems of, of, of waterwork that, you know sometimes feels so well-engineered that it defies physics almost. And in that, you see all sorts of birds and exotic creatures, creatures you've never seen in these lands that are not actually common to this place, somehow thriving. I shall land next to one of these odd birds, a peacock, perhaps. I shall land on a bird bath next to this peacock and call out. Hello, pretty thing. Thing I have not seen. Who are you? Do you, do you have an ability that lets you speak to birds? Uh, yeah, I'm like a 17th level druid. <laughs> I can talk You're to gonna a bird. You're going to have to voice a peacock. <laughs> I'm, I'm interested in this. This is the best. It just kind of like cocks its head a little bit. It turns up and like it starts to chirp and those chirps immediately become words. And there's like the, the little almost dog-like gesture in the head where when it hears itself speaking, it's like... This is still not normal to the bird. Sure. But it's just got no options but to take in stride. Hel hello. Hello, pretty thing. Tell me of your king. He's, he's a little scary. He's a cat. Don't like cats, but he's nice. Feeds us. Looks at us mostly. Which, again, uncomfortable. Don't like cats. Don't like a cat looking at me. It probably knows that... Despite it thriving, 
every time it sees the king look at it, it's not the eyes of someone that is uh, observing the beauty of this thing, no. appreciating the creature as it is prey. That is potential prey. It is treated kindly, but every every word is like chosen. Yeah, carefully. It is talking about something where it's like, I don't know if he's listening and I will not say anything about him that might draw ire. But he just kind of looks around, just like no, he um, he 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 takes care. He, he looks at us, and he's got scary cat eyes. But he also has very nice feathers. Your uh, Rakshasa is always in their normal, in, in their true form. Okay, yes, awesome. no need to disguise. Oh, oh I love he that. Is who he is, proud. This is a level of power where even the people who like. Isn't that a fiend? Shut the fuck up. <laughs> you have a full belly and not dying because of me. If anything, he might have had been a an usurper of another despotic king. And this is way his way of controlling is a lot more subtle. It's through contentment. His shackles are the food you eat. It is a very gilded cage. Yeah. It was one of those situations where he took control and within the first little bit, everyone was fed. And the choice was, I'll leave. I'll leave. Ask me to. Then the last question I would ask, the last thing I would ask is, what is the king's favorite animal? That's a great question. I mean, outside of himself. Right. So, obviously, it's a peacock. He wouldn't have had this fucking conversation with the mm. king. I mean, it is beautiful. It is yeah. quite the yeah. pretty thing. I mean, yeah, but it still couldn't talk to you. So, tell me, what of your menagerie do you spend the most time with? Honestly, it's, I don't think he really particularly cares for any of them. They're just They're all just a way. They're all decoration. They're all a form to show his wealth and power. That's what he cares for. That's the only thing that really matters. There's a long pause and it just kind of like looks around and it's like, it's that over the shoulder look like, is anyone listening? And it looks back, it just makes that eye contact and real low, real quiet. Just him. I know exactly what I shall be. Thank you. Pretty thing. You have been quite helpful. And he hops off the birdbath and turns into a tiger and strides into the palace. Guards make way. There was a certain, like, warning was given that something is coming. But also there is, like, clearly some fear to it of, like, well, that's, that is not, I'm pretty sure that's not a normal tiger, but also there is a tiger here. In a world like this, you'd never be sure, would you? It could always be something else. So you're like constantly flanked guards with, you know, eight foot spears, just marching alongside ready, just at the sort of like 10, 15 feet away where they will have warning when you jump and can get the spear out before you land. And when you get to the door, the door of just a very beautiful, very dark wood, very freshly lacquered, beautifully carved with the visage of my visage on. It parts in the middle, right? There's this huge mm -hmm. face that just opens up. Yeah. Swings open. 
the spears come down and all the guards stay back at the door. I'm going to say there are four sort of foot soldiers, sort of an honor guard, that just stay at the corners of the room. KP, tell me about your throne room. If someone were to wonder what it would be like to live inside of a crystal, you see tall, wide stained glass windows, right? And there's, there's just, it lines the walls, it lines the ceiling, and it casts intricate colors and patterns on the stone, the carpet, all dancing as the light shines through and creates this feeling of being inside of what could only be a multifaceted, multicolored crystal ball. And at the very center is a fountain with blooming flowers coming off of branches that are floating inside of it. The floor is a form of crystal or glass with water flowing underneath it. Lotus petals, lotus flowers actually floating amongst it. So you're, it looks like you're walking on water. Godlike. And as you walk in, as your claws kind of like tick along the floor, there's the echo and everything is just a pitch sharp. Things get deeper, almost more resonant when you're in that big stone room, like even if you're walking through like a garage because the cement is so porous and it can rip. Crystals don't. You are getting so much high end and it makes everything sound unnatural. The one thing I would appreciate about this, right? It's all very built up. I don't like it. It's not your aesthetic. Do you like the water? That's cool, right? But but stained glass is an exception. Stained glass is a beauty that my character deeply appreciates because the light coming through them and the lights and colors that it then casts is so similar to the lights coming through the leaves of the trees and the colors they then cast. So in this moment and in this beauty, I do appreciate it. I do see what you are doing. Don't, I do not agree with it, but there is a slight nod. But there's an homage to nature. Which is almost more insulting, frankly, but, but I do appreciate it. There is artistry here, and he takes that in as he approaches, I'm assuming, your throne. And yes, in the center is quite a throne. Something very high, very cushiony. And you don't even see him sitting in a typical manner on a throne. You see him lounging with feet more so like draped on the side as he's eating fruits, as he's eating uh, pieces of meat. Like, I'm gonna, what is that? Shakuri, sh- sh- shakuri board? What is that? Shakuri. Yeah, shakuri board, right? And this is the second afternoon shakuri board. You see someone swaying a fan to keep him cool, made of peacock feathers. Just uh, both one servant on each side waving the fan. Who knows how long have they been waving? Right. They're not stopping. Yeah. And they're just keeping me nice and cool. You see the air ripple through the fur. Well-maintained, luxurious. So it's like, it's like like when you have that fresh, like when you bathe your dog fresh and then that hair is just so fluffy and constantly like just the slightest breeze you see the ripple of. It's like that. 
Like there was the half a glance you got out the corner of the eye, and then it just went back to. Oh no no no! Hmm. I am not paying attention to him, no. or not even oh. giving the slightest hint that I'm paying attention. You are in my domain. I've also probably got like a five minute walk up still because it's oh, like yeah. such a big room. <laughs> Tail is kind of flick, flick, flick as I'm walking up. Perhaps having a better understanding of how the cat walks would help your illusion. I get to the end where I'm like before your throne and sit down. And if a cat could nod and give you a knowing look, that is what this this is what this tiger has given you. And then I will rise. I will stretch and form and change into my true form, which is this orc that is covered in just browns. Like there's browns and greens. There is no extra pop of color. There is nothing extraordinary. Everything's done incredibly well. Nothing is done to be flamboyant. It's all just effective and will last for time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. God, that's such a PDX person. <laughs> <laughs> really is. That's, that's a Portland person already. 100%. 100%. There's some red flannel, you know. Uh, um, and you see him finally turn. That's when he finally turns. He goes, see, isn't it better to be just who we are? This is who I am, King. I am the animals. I am those that live within the woods. This form and that form are not different. They are paths on my journey. They are steps to the left and right. Oh, we have a philosopher tonight. As you, like, shift position, one of the little servants off to the side stops with the fan, goes, takes the charcuterie board off the lap so that you have freedom to move your legs just holds it off to the side. I would offer you something, but I feel that none of this would be to your satisfaction. Yeah, my guy's definitely a vegetarian, so there's, well, maybe the cheese. Definitely the cheese. Actually, yeah, absolutely the cheese. So as you say that, you just catch the slightest glance towards the cheese before he refocuses on you. So, to what why owe this pleasure? You have come into lands that have always been ours. We understand everyone takes from the land. We understand everyone has needs from the land. That is nature. We do not deny you this. However, when you take too much, when it becomes an excess, the harm cannot be ignored. He kind of just stares at you for a second. He goes, And what is your definition of excess? Each has their own requirements. A balance, my king, would be my answer. Your kingdom is not in balance with the lands around it. It sits as a heavy weight in the center, drawing down that which rests around your borders. They suffer because of your excess, and I am here to negotiate some relief. I see. Well, I do apologize. That seems like quite an inconvenience. But they're not my people. They're not who serve me. They're not my kingdom, yet they reside on my lands. 
You have been squatting here, freeloading at my discretion. And yet, here you are, speaking to me as if though you rule them. Just because you've lived here long enough does not give you the right over anything. The right comes from those who take and those who have control. I have the control. Your words are true, King. Those who are powerful take what is theirs. That is nature. I cannot deny this. However, I do not speak for the people who take. I do not care for them. They do what they wish. Rule them. Do not. Be kind. Do not. Take from them. Do not. I care for the land and the trees and those things that cannot be ruled by law and dictate that will always exist outside of that order. I talk for those things, my king, of which you take far too much. Did you know that before I came here that these people were similar, lawless, without purpose, without direction, the land without purpose, without direction, these trees, these animals, the very air, and I brought that order. So when you speak to me about beings outside of these criteria, I simply laugh. I have controlled what you say is uncontrollable. When ivy browns and loses its leaves, it is not contained, my king. It is not dead. It is simply resting, gaining its strength for its return. Nature has not been controlled. It has sent me, and I propose a contest. You say these lands are yours to claim. You say that you have dominion over all things. I disagree. I believe the land escapes your claws, and I wish to prove it. I shall become the object of your hunt. Capture me, and you have proven your claim over these lands. Should I elude you, you must give way. You just see him stare at you for a second, and then you just hear a roll, a low rumbling noise and eventually start building and you realize he's laughing. <laughs> oh, oh, that is intriguing. My afternoon is free. I'll entertainment. His eyes never leave yours, but there is a very deep and respectful bow. Then the hunt has begun and slam my staff onto the ground and cast Earthquake. So tell me how Earthquake works around, you massive prick. You create a seismic disturbance at a point on the ground that you can see within range. For the duration, an intense tremor rips to the ground in a 100-foot radius circle centered on the point and shakes creatures and structures in contact with the ground in that area. 
the tremor deals 50 bludgeoning damage to any structure in contact with the ground in the, in the area. The palace remains intact. A fully crystalline room shatters. And it's just a river under there, right? It's just, yeah, just that pool. It's a pool. It's a pool of water. In the destruction, just become a cart. Swim through the floor. Hey, everybody. Uh, Sorry to do this again, but we we have a favor to ask. No jokes this time. No skits. Just an honest plea for you to take five minutes and vote for us. Because we just got nominated for an Emmy. The Emmy Awards are an annual fan-based celebration of excellence in tabletop role-playing gaming that gives gamers, designers, writers, and artists the recognition they deserve. It is a People's Choice Award, and the final winners are voted upon by the gaming public. It's a huge honor to be nominated, let alone in our first season, but it also means that we're going up against some very well-established shows with well-established audiences. But we think we've got a shot because we think you'll give us a shot. The support all of you have shown through listening to and sharing the show and by pledging on Patreon and subscribing on Apple Podcasts has been tremendous. We have never experienced anything like it in all the projects we have worked on. And we know that that community is all we need to win. To vote for Kill Every Monster, just go over to killeverymonster.com slash vote and you'll be redirected to an any ballot. A win here could help us get more eyes on the show than anything we could have done all year. We cannot express how good this would be for the show, and I cannot express how much I personally want this. So please, I am begging you to go to killeverymonster.com slash vote and help secure the future of Kill Every Monster. God, I can't decide if you're going to be more obnoxious if we win or if we lose. Intolerable or inconsolable? Take your pick. Earthquake goes off, deals damage to everyone in the room, and given that, like, those honor guard are going to be injured, the servants likely die. Well, I'm the first one. The Rakshasa feels nothing. He's vibrated mildly. You find yourself standing in shattered glass and ankle-deep water, mildly inconvenienced. So, you see him walk out very casually, by the way. Very casually. Takes a big puff from his pipe. The path he's going to have to take is known to you. This isn't simply a pool. This is a river that you have directed under your throne room and you know where it leaves the palace. So with sufficient speed, you're confident that you can get there ahead of him. Your royal carriage travels quite quickly, my lord. Everyone gets out of the way. I can fly. Oh, right. (laughs) Right. And you don't even have to smash a window. They're pre-smashed. I I walked out very confidently, and then you see him, like, jump into the air and just start zooming through the air in the direction where that that river opens up out out of the kingdom. How does your Rakshasa fly? Oh, Superman it. Awesome. Is this regular Superman arms out, or is this, like, arrogant Superman standing, lifts off, and we get the little pointed toes, and then just a straight... 
I like that. Yeah, I think that like that, almost like as if though he's walking in air, like taking a stroll. So what kind of opposed role are we going to have when basically a fish comes flying out the far end of this river <laughs> and a tiger is waiting? <laughs> <laughs> like, can't you just animal handling because I am the animal? <laughs> you are. Uh, well, then I, I might just say, like, on my end, I would think nature. I might roll nature. Um, how do I... Would how, what kind of an opposing role would I do something for that? The most basic version would be survival is the hunting skill, right? Uh, we could also try, like, a, a athletics type of thing where you're, like, actually just attacking. Like, this mm. is a grab-him-out-of-the-water grizzly bear move. <laughs> I, I mean, I do have, uh, I also have Mage Hand, which is at will, Minor Illusion, Disguise Self, Detect Thoughts. So yeah, I think he doesn't even like, you don't even see him move. You see him just like standing still, kind of slightly abused, but mostly bored look, like like a nonchalant, this is, you know, whatever. And you just see a, a manifestation of a claw, clawed, clawed uh, palm, just come and just try to watch you. Aram, you're going to roll your nature. We're going to treat this. This is some Animorphs bullshit. It's basically yes. <laughs> you're letting the carp brain take over and avoid the hunter. Uh, KP, I'm going to have you roll your spell attack. So my nature roll is plus six. That's not very high. That's only a six plus six is 12. 26. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Aram, I think that is sufficiently higher to full-blown catch the fish. This isn't even, like, swat out of the air. This is a, like, you get out, do the little, like, innate hop that the carp wants to do, and there's just a clawed hand wrapped around you. You see him, like, you see the carp, like, the claw bring the carp really close to his face, and he goes, Hello. That wasn't that fun, was it? Conjure water elemental. And you seem deliberately let you go. He's playing with, like, he uh, he is absolutely like, Ah, this was no fun. Let's give you another chance. As you drop me, the water elemental, like, 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 just like one little bit, of, you know, one little bit of it shoots forward. I land in the water, swim up it, and then inside <laughs> it. So, like, I'm its part. Yep. You're doing a mech suit out of wet. Got it. And then just, like, like I rise up and then instantly run, just just merge back into the river, and now we're just like at just like like at super fast a speed, shooting along with this carp inside it, rocketing out of the city as fast as we can. I give you a head start. I'm just like staring, seeing, and then like watching the sun, kind of looking at how much time has probably passed, and he goes, "Oh, that's about enough then." and then just zoom out after you. So tell me, Aram, are you just straight using this thing like a mech suit, getting out as fast as you can, or like, is this gonna... I'm just creating my own wave. And riding it all the way out. That, especially from air, makes it real easy to track. But I think, especially being given a head start, being toyed with, frankly, gets you both outside the city walls, out into, like, 
farmland, basically the nice little stream that kind of cuts down alongside the road as you're going out towards the forest. Let's see where he goes. Just follow. I'm, like you said, toying with him at this point, so I'm in no rush. Aram, what's your destination? As soon as the river ends, mm-hmm. I burst out of it. The fish becomes me, and I, and I land. I take one look back as this floating tiger <laughs> comes over the walls, right? And I look, meet eyes with you, nod, and I touch the nearest a tree and I vanish. And then I pop from another tree a couple hundred yards. And I'm just like doing that. I'm just like popping throughout the forest as you're watching me lead you further in. I would like to cast Detect Thoughts. I assume you're going to push a little bit. So like you can, you can immediately get surface level thoughts. You can get like emotions and stuff, but you can mm. also push into his brain a little bit. Try to read his mind. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm trying to do that. Yep, then Aram, you're making your uh, wisdom save at DC 18. Wisdom saving throw. DC 18, I have a plus nine, and I rolled a 19. 28, steel nice. trap. Nice, nice, Your nice, thoughts nice. are your own. And I see, like, I tried to look, and he's like, oh. You know what it is? Every time I merge into a tree, my thoughts stop for a moment becoming mm, thoughts. They become the thoughts of a tree. And you don't know how to read a tree. <laughs> I like that. I like that. You get his surface level thoughts. You get like, you can see him. He is toying with you. He's leading you. Mm-hmm, so you can mm-hmm. see him and you can get some loose intentions. Aram, give, give KP the surface. My motivation's there, but you're seeing the surface level thoughts of the trees. You're seeing a whole swath of them being chopped down. You're hearing them scream to each other. You're seeing all the connections in between them and how all those connections are like so much more vast than you could see from the outside. And you can see for a moment, maybe the loss. And that's what would be on my surface level thoughts. And also like, I'm gonna get this fucker. Like those would be the two (laughs) things on my surface level. Okay, gotcha. Then you, I, I just follow. I just keep following them, and I actually revel in the, in the pain that you're in. And I kind of lick my lips. It, I lick my lips and goes, tasty, <laughs> perfect. My goal is to get back to where I have created this grove and to stand in the hollowed-out shell of that tree, and that's where I plan to face you. Then let's make this a cinematic thing. That conversation happened in the afternoon. You make this chase last till sunset. So we get that, like, the dark from the the trees is starting to flood in. It's casting these long shadows as the sun gets low. We get that nice red sky. And out of the red sky comes this finely adorned, silk-draped tiger floating its way down. Can 
can we also say that as a juxtaposition to the 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 throne room that I had and how you mentioned it looks very much like as if though the leaves you know sunlight coming through the leaves here the sunset is casting those lights through the leaves I want to say and creating a similar effect here but much more natural is absolutely we're in sort of like later autumn so we're starting to get like the actual color to it as well there's still the occasional green that hasn't quite gone yet, but you're getting those reds and the yellows and the oranges soaking in, just speckling the ground between the shadows. And I've touched the broken shell of this tree as I landed, and as I've touched it, these beautiful cherry blossoms have just exploded all over it, and there's a carpet of petals before me, as if it was a grand carpet leading to a throne room. I would like to ignore all of that instead of walking up. And I, similar to how a hawk comes down from the sky to catch its prey, not even using my my hands, but the claws on my feet, just want to like smash down from above. This is going to be a straight attack roll. That's all that is. Come on, baby. Give me something. Ooh, that is a 22. Oh, yeah, that's going to hit. <laughs> You slam into him. I feel like you created this, but you kind of lost sight of where I was. Yeah. And then you're thinking that you you're thinking that I'm gonna fight you like an equal. I'm gonna land at the end. We're gonna face have this face off. You are struck by an orange and black torpedo. Five damage. Two d6. Oh no, two d6 plus two. So that is a seven. Uh slashing damage. Are you intending to land upon me or just strike? Oh, land. I was thinking of like first landing on, like just smashing into you. And then I do have multi-attack as my yeah, thing. So, so Aram, I'm going to give you the strength save to not go prone when the tiger hits. I rolled a 12 plus three is 15. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say that 15 is not quite enough to resist the weight of an entire tiger. You come in and just hit me knock me onto my back, land on me, and slide. And there's just one clawed foot on my head, pushing it down. And then I go down and I just swipe with my other hand as for my multi-attack. You're going to have advantage because he's prone. That's a 25. Uh, that is a 10. Damage. So 17 total. And I'm cursed now. Oh yeah, and you are now cursed. Target is cursed if it is a creature, which you are. The magical curse takes effect whenever the target takes a short or long rest, filling the target's thoughts with horrible images and dreams. The cursed target gains no benefit from finishing a short or long rest. The curse lasts until it is lifted by a remove curse spell or similar magic. So as you feel that slash come through, not only do you feel that physical pain of your, you know, skin being pierced and slashed, but there's a deeper pain that surfaces. And you see images of what was surface level that he felt. He acts upon that, those thoughts, uh, and you just viscerally feel the burning of the woods around you. You hear the screams of the animals as they burn along with this forest. And before you realize it, you yourself are burning like the woods. And you feel the agony of that pain that comes from it. 
And you feel not only that, but the disappointment of failing all those protectors that came before you, that gave you this responsibility to protect these lands, and knowing that you were not able to live up. Looking out over this grove, I'm plunged into this semi-reality where I'm seeing it all burn. I'm seeing everything burn. And for that moment, it does feel like I feel the weight of that and the weight of you. I feel all that weight upon me. And there's a sadness in one tear. And then as soon as you pull back, there's a gasp. Like, like I can feel it being like, like the rush being pulled from my lungs. And I remember that while fire is destructive, it also regrows. It is the birth of the forest. It is the engine that makes all new. And I take it in and transform into a fire elemental beneath you. Fire form. The elemental can move through a space, blah, blah, blah. Any creature that touches the elemental or hits it with a melee attack while within five feet of it takes one die ten fire damage. So that would just be seven points of damage. As Circle of the Moon, you have, you wild shape as a bonus action. You have an action now. I would then take my multi-attack. It's just roaring anger as fire just rises up around you. First one is a 13 plus six is 19. That hits. And the second is a seven plus six is 13. Does not hit. Two dice six plus three fire damage. Do you consider yourself a flammable object? (laughs) I mean, uh, I assume so. Okay. Then the other thing you need to do is make a... You know it says if the target is a creature or flammable object. Oh, I missed that part. It ignites. Yeah. You take... There's 10 points of fire damage and your fine, beautiful silks alight. Until a creature takes an action to douse the fire. You have to either spend your action or you will keep burning. Well, the first thing you're going to do on your action is take damage, right? Yep. So roll your 10. That's a full 10. So take 10 points of damage off as you burn. He doesn't scream. He doesn't look panicked. You just see him like flame and just staring at you. And up till now, what was a nonchalant gaze has turned ferocious like a predator. There's flame all around you, but the flame in your eyes is somehow brighter. Yeah, he's not really paying particular attention to the fire itself. It's more of the insult of being a flame. And I'm going to try using dominate person on you. It must succeed a wisdom saving throw. So I've got a plus nine. So that's that's my best one. 18 plus nine is 27. You motherfucker. How many people have resisted this in your Not lifetime? No. no, probably the first one. There's so much rage. There's so much anger and so much beneath that determination. I am focused on this goal. You don't see many people in your kingdom that determined. Perhaps I need to take a different tact. And then I, ju- I, I, I launch myself the distance that I can go, which is 40 feet, to the nearest body of water. You throw yourself back, and it's that almost combat roll. Just dive through the water and come up on your feet. And you come up 
looking fucking miserable. The f- clothes have been burnt and singed. You're now a wet cat. You see him kind of reach to the, the, the tattered robes that he's wearing, and he just rips it off. The clothing makes the man, but this is no mere man. As you did this, like, perfect little backflip dive out of this ruined tree, I come roaring over the top, a wall of fire, and just descend upon you. I'll do a multi-attack again. Uh, 15 plus 6 is 21, and the second one is going to be... Damn it, 3 plus 6 is 9. So only one hit. It was it was, it was, it was on a 16 and then rolled over. Like, oh. uh. <laughs> All right, so that'll be an extra. 7 plus 3 is 10 points of fire damage that I descend upon you. Okay, so when you wade into the water, when you throw yourself forward, you take a point of cold damage per gallon of water and if you stand in it's five feet wide because medium square times five feet times three so that is yeah that's 75 cubic feet of water i'm gonna give basically you're gonna get your multi-attack off but you're about to take 500 points of cold damage because 75 cubic feet is 561 fluid gallons i'm not gonna let that cascade over to like your main form because Obviously, you're your person. That that effect is specifically a fire me- elemental thing, but doing this is going to kill the fire elemental. I hit you full speed with this flame, slamming into the water, boiling into steam. As this steam parts, I'm just there with a giant with with my giant staff, fully enraged, ready to go for the next round. Oh. My dear friend, it's so much fun toying with you. Here you are thinking you're the protector, some righteous being that has come down to capture or destroy who you feel is this enemy. You don't even realize who the real enemy is. That kind of point behind you. This grove is absolutely burning. That whole visual you showed me of all the fire burning has now come true all around us. I just wanted to give you a gift before I found you your new home. And then I snap my finger and I cast Plane Shift. Aram, you get a charisma save. All right, here it comes. Plus two, three. Plus two <laughs> is five. <laughs> There's that snap, and it's the last sound you ever hear with clarity. It's immediately that crackle just sort of fades. It's muted a little bit, and all the color drains out of the world, and you look around, and you're still staring into the eyes of this Rakshasa, and he's watching back at you, and you can tell that he's making eye contact. And our viewpoint shifts, and all the color pops back in. There's the red. There's the smoke rising up through the like reddish haze of sunset. And the Rakshasa stands alone in this burning grove. And I'm just in the ethereal plane. Ram, I have to ask two things. Do you currently have any spells prepared that would let you remove a curse? I do not. Do you have plane shift prepared? I do not. 
you cannot, until that curse is removed, gain the benefits of a short or long rest. You will never be able to re-prepare your spell lists, which means unless someone finds out where you are and comes and rescues you, you stay. So over time, you're left staring through this veil, just, just watching. There is years, decades, where everything is completely empty. Instead of letting this place thrive in any sense of the word, in any form of life or success or any way that this land could be, have been justified, the battle could have been justified, if there's any chance that some sort of satisfaction could be had, no, that, that is not going to be what's going to happen here. Those resources will get taken. Each one of those trees, plants, anything that can be of use there, even to the very rock and earth, the topsoil that could be used for manure and for other places, everything completely stripped. And then you see a bunch of soldiers come through at the behest of their generous king and their kind savior to torch the earth there so that nothing could possibly grow once more. You see him, them bring sacks of salt and just salt the land so that there is nothing that can possibly come back from this grove. No use for any being of whatsoever, no matter how greedy one might be. Yeah, Torgan wouldn't leave. Torgan would just hang around like a nature ghost, basically just watching everything be stripped away. They work so hard to rebuild. And then when you see and finally understand that nothing can possibly ever grow here, that moment you see a figure casually stroll in, taking in all the things that have happened here. And then you see him stare again at a spot and he's looking directly at you. And there's a smile and a wink. And then he walks away. Thank you for joining us for a DM Deep Dive into the Rakshasa. For more information about us, notes for each episode, and ways you can help support the show, head over to killeverymonster.com. If any of the ideas we've discussed on the show have sparked some of your own, tell us about it on Twitter at KEM Podcast. You'll find me at DJ Malenfant and Aram at Aram Vardian. For ad-free episodes, early releases, bonus episodes, print-ready maps, our new audio DMs notes, and my character sheets for each encounter, head over to patreon.com slash killeverymonster. You can also listen to ad-free episodes and bonus content by subscribing to the show on Apple Podcasts. Our intro theme and many of the sound effects you hear in the show were created by BattleBards. Check them out at BattleBards.com. This episode was produced by Aram Vartian and Dylan Malenfant. I also did the editing. KP was our guest. You can find him on Twitter at KP11Studios. And if you are anything like me and all of that information just fell right out of your head, you'll find everything you need at KillEveryMonster.com. And we'll see you next time for, for Kill, Kill Every, Every Monster. Monster.
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. The ancient mountainous deserts to the south of Faerun are the places where mortals first raised great temples and unlocked powerful secrets. A kingdom once fractured by infighting has been united under the iron claw of the red dragon, Chazar. The great lizard's quest for immortality has become an all-consuming obsession. His need for worshippers has set him on a path against the old gods of these lands, and they will not go quietly. An unlikely cabal of deities has banded together to undermine Jazar and ensure that their temples remain protected and active. They've traced tendrils of fate to preferred timelines, then selected five mortals who had the best chance of bringing those futures to fruition. You will take on the role of one of these chosen in Death to the Dragon King. Find out more about this Start Playing Games campaign and all of my other available games at aram.gay.